Amen. Thank you so much, Cummings family, for helping us to give worship and praise to our Savior, the Lord Jesus. Karis, I saw you got accepted at Wheaton. You're headed to Wheaton. So did you turn Moody down? So there you go. So a very happy experience for her. So they're, they're happy for you, Karis. They're, so uh, was it wonderful to have an opportunity to be led again in singing together in a public way. Praise to the Lord. Well, are you like me? I, I feel like a kid on a long trip to grandma's house. And I keep saying, hey, dad, are we there yet? Hey, mom, are we there yet? Oh, it's just a little tongue in cheek. But and then, I, oh, and when I look up in the front seat, it's Gretchen Whitmer's driving. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. Are you? <laughs> Are we, are we there yet? <laughs> All right, settle down. Are we there yet? That's the question. That comes to the kid's mouth over and over again on the trip to Grandma's house. Are we there yet? And I think we've all felt that way a little bit. How long is this going to last? Are you kidding me? Really? No graduation? No graduation open house? No no weddings, no funerals. Lord, when's this going to be over? Are we there yet? No concerts, no camp, no baseball. Somebody even said, I heard somebody say it plunged me into despair. I heard somebody say there might not even be football in the fall. I'm like, are you kidding me? Not that. This, uh, this is uh, not a new prayer, this are we there yet. It's not at all a new prayer because oppressed people have been saying something that sounds a lot like this for thousands of years. As a matter of fact, listen to what the prophet Habakkuk said. Oh, Lord, how long will I cry for help and you will not hear? How long will I cry to you violence and you will not save? The, the way that the saints have prayed this prayer through the centuries is not, are we there yet? It's how long, oh Lord, how long? Even to the very end of the Bible, you find the saints after, they, after the war and, and the famine and the plague sweeping over the earth in Revelation 6, they the, the fifth seal is open, and the souls under the altar in Revelation 6, slain for the word of God and for the witness they have borne, cry out with a loud voice. And what is their prayer? Their prayer is, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long? How long, Lord, before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? That's the prayer that's really on all of our hearts these days. And it really, since we're driving to grandma's when we were a kid, until we're close to our final breath, we're often going to be saying about whatever that we're going through, we're going to be praying this prayer, how long, Lord? There's a young couple, and they're standing in the door of the nursery that they prepared for a baby that they haven't met. And they've been through all kinds of heartache. They can't have their own child but they're waiting for that baby to be given to them. 
And their prayer in the door of that nursery is, Lord, how long, how long? This is a little fellow that was just born, and he was taken home from the hospital. But he was sick, so over and again, he's been returned to the hospital. And his parents and grandparents are saying, how long, Lord? How long? There's a couple that has a child, and then the child has special needs that will need to be attended to over and over again. Their lives won't be like other people's lives. And their prayer is often, how long, Lord? How long? The business is hemorrhaging money. The marriage, they say it's work, but was it supposed to be this much work? And the prayer is, how long, Lord? There are people who are sleepless, sleepless with pain, who in the night are praying, how long, Lord? There are people who are sleepless with worry, who in the night are praying, how long, Lord? There are people who are sleepless with concern over loved ones who pray over and over again the prayer, how long, Lord? How long till we get back to work? How long, Lord? I walk. It's encouraging to be here and to see all of you and the faith that you're expressing and the desire to serve, uh, to worship God that you're expressing by being here. And it's heartening to see you. And through the week, I, I had this picture in my mind of people eagerly gathered to, to, in their own way, show their reverence for God and confess their need for God. That's encouraging. But when I walk through the building and I see the empty offices and when I see the empty classrooms and when I imagine the little children running around in the gymnasium between Sunday school and church or waving their palm branches while they walk down the church aisle, I look up in the choir loft and it's empty and nobody's playing the drums, nobody's playing the organ. I, I imagine that we're in there and the place is full and we're all just singing and we're supposed to be sitting down, but Eddie Beasley can't stay seated, so he gets up. And then everybody else, they have to get up so that Eddie won't be standing there alone. And I'd say, how long, Lord, till we can go back and we can do that again and we can stand together with Eddie and we can raise up our hands in praise to God. That's the prayer that's on my heart when I walk through the empty church. I just say, how long, how long, Lord? I've been, I've been praying this prayer all my life, have you? Our daughter Holly was 30 before she married. When she was a 16-year-old girl, her mother and I went to a, a jewelry store. We bought her a special ring, and the ring was supposed to signify her desire to trust her mom and dad, to help her, to pray, to find a godly mate someday. And she was 16 and 17 and 18 and 19 and 20. And one day, when she was about 29, she said to me, hey, Dad, my, my courtship ring broke. And I said, well, Holly, it wasn't supposed to last this long. And then we all had a good little laugh over that. But I remember lots of times when I would sit in on her bed with her in her room and she would pray a prayer that sounded a lot like that prayer how long lord how long there are people who really believe that their life would be enriched if they had somebody that they could share their life with and they've had disappointments in the past maybe even abandonment or abuse 
And sometimes in the dark night of their soul, their prayer is, how long, Lord? How long? And people have been oppressed and mistreated by others, and it hasn't been fair. And many times people who are powerful or strong oppress or mistreat people who aren't powerful or strong. Or you're in a group of people that is just really historically been mistreated. And, and these people, in their hymnody, in their songs, they often have beautiful songs that basically say the same prayer. How long, Lord? How long, Lord? A man struggles and confesses the same sin that he's been confessing over and over again since he was 14 years old. And he says to the Lord from time to time, God, how long, Lord, how long? God told his people, if you recall, when they were in the land of slavery, that they would be going to a land of milk and honey. Do you remember the story? It's a major part of the Bible. You're going to be released from slavery, and you're going to a land of your own. It's a land of milk and honey where everyone will have his own little place, be able to grow his own food, gather his own family. And yet they wandered for years and years in the wilderness, and they cried out to God over and over again, God, how long, how long, Lord? This is a prayer that's been on the hearts of faithful people for centuries and centuries. And David, in Psalm 13, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 13. In David, in Psalm 13, who was a godly man and a man after God's own heart, in Psalm 13, opens this psalm by saying four times, how long, O Lord, how long? David has been appointed as king at this point. David has even been anointed as king at this point. And yet the Bible teaches us that for 12 years, for 12 long years, David, after being appointed as king, after being anointed as king, he's oppressed by Saul, who's a very powerful and deranged person. He's pursuing David and oppressing him. And all through this time, David is crying out to God, Lord, how long? How long? So my, my question to you is today is what do you do when your soul heart's cry is, are we there yet, God? How long, Lord? And throughout your life, when you come to a time in your life, and you will, when heartache comes into your life, or difficulty comes into your life, or a mistake or, or a sin comes into your life that, that brings damage to your life, when, you pray, when, you, when the cry of your heart is, are we there yet? How long, Lord? What do you do then? In Psalm 13, we see what David did. Look at Psalm 13, verse 1. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? What is David doing here? This is what's called lament. David is pouring out his grief, his heartache, his sorrows, his complaints to the Lord in, in a holy lament. He's not cursing God, but he is seeking God in a questioning kind of worship. How long, Lord? It just seems, and, and notice what he says, 
How long will you forget me? How long will you ignore me? How long will my deepest thoughts be sad and sorrowful? See that in verse 2? How long must I take counsel in my soul, have sorrow in my heart all the day? You ever feel that way? You ever feel like I can't get out from underneath the burden of sorrow? I can't get out from underneath the burden of grief. Will this ever end? Or have you ever felt this way? God, it seemed like I just keep praying and I keep praying and I keep praying and you don't seem to answer. It's like you're silent. It's like you're not listening. It's like you're not answering. This is how I feel. How long will it be that way, God? This is common. Back to the centuries of faithful people for them to have this feeling because it's the glory of God sometimes to conceal himself from us in his work. But we, we get on our face and we cry out, how long? How long will I feel defeated? He says, how long will my enemy exalt over me? How long will it be unfair in this world, God? So what is the first thing to do? The first thing to do when you're overwhelmed in this prayer, how long or are we there yet, comes out. The first thing that we ought to do is follow the example of David and get on our face humbly before God in lament. Get on your face. Humble yourself on your face before God. I was talking with my mother-in-law one day and asking her questions about her past life. It's fascinating to sit with her and to get her talking when she does. And she's telling me about how when she was a young mother, she had four little children, and they moved from her beloved mountains of Kentucky up to a suburb in Michigan where they're trying to get their life arranged. Dad struggled with alcohol, so she, her husband, so she was trying to get a car, and she's trying to get a washing machine. She's trying to put together her life. But the one thing she loved, she said she loved to be able to go back to the hills of Kentucky at Christmas time and in the, on a summer vacation and, and to her childhood home and to her mother's little humble place. She just loved to be able to get her kids in the car and in, into a car and get back to the mountains of Kentucky. But at this point, she hadn't earned enough money to buy her own car. So she was dependent on other people. And the other people that had promised to take her, there was some confusion and they left without her. She said to me, the day that I discovered that they had left and I wouldn't be able to go back to Kentucky for Christmas, she said, I just got down on the floor of the kitchen and I just cried. I just got down on the floor and I just cried. If we're following the example of David, David says this is the first way to respond when the cry of our heart is, how long, Lord? Get on your face and go ahead and have a good cry. Tell the Lord how you feel. Let him know that your heart is broken. Confess your doubts to him. His shoulders are broad. I have a friend whose name is Mark. And at the time I knew Mark, he had two fine sons. A quieter boy, more artistic, who kind of loved horses, who's more of a, a thoughtful fella. Another boy that was really rugged and athletic and he loved football, his name was Travis. Mark's son, Travis, went through a series of difficulties. One night he was beside himself with despair. He called his dad and he told his dad that he was struggling with depression and despair. His dad gave him some passages of scripture to read. And then Mark, he said to his son, Travis, he said, Travis, 
You want me to come and be with you tonight? I can come and I can be with you right now. Travis said, no, Dad, I got to get up early and go to work in the morning. But that night, Travis took a gun and he ended his life. My friend Mark Boucher, who's a devout and faithful man, struggled with his terrible sadness of losing his precious son, Travis. And Mark told me that he went out one day during his time of grief and he went for a walk. And he remembered what it says in Lamentations, it's good for a man to put his face in the dust. So he said, okay, God. And he got down on his face and he put his face in the dirt and he said, oh, God, I don't understand why you let this happen to me, but I humble myself and I cry out to you. Friends, I want to tell you that when the, the cry of your heart is how long, Lord, the first thing that you ought to do is just get down on your face, humble yourself, and pour out your complaint to God. That's what David did. And then you'll notice something else. He got up from his face and he got on his knees and prayed. Verse 3 and 4, consider me, consider and answer me, O Lord, my God. Lift up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. What is David doing? He says to God, listen to me. God, I'm going to, I'm going to take my prayer to you. I'm going to take my troubles to you. And he says, give me life. This is a uh, a, a, a figure of speech, lighten my eyes, G give me life. Don't let me die. My enemy will exalt over me, and that won't bring you any honor. I want to win a victory in this, and so I'm praying to you. Folks, when the cry of your heart is, how long, Lord, first get on your face and pour out your complaint and your lament to the Lord, but then get on your knees and just tell God that you want to have victory. And you want to live in obedience. You want to live in victory. And you want to be able to give him glory over his enemies. Give, tell him your prayers. And, and it's a time, a time of lament, a time of difficulty, and a time of hardship like that. It's a time when people, they learn. You don't learn to pray by reading a book about prayer as much as you learn to pray when you pass through hardship and you just pour your heart out to the Lord. Learn liturgies of the soul learn thoughtful prayers use the written prayers of others go on a walk a friend of mine calls that a long wandering prayer if a walk is hard for you get in your car and take a drive and turn the radio off and learn to talk to god when the cry of david's heart was how long lord he got on his face first and then he got on his knees but then he says, but I have trusted, and this is the heart of the psalm in verse 5. I have trusted in your steadfast love. I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart will rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Here's what David is saying. And you understand, a psalm often compresses into a little brief poem what might have taken him a long time to work through. The time that David would have been on his face might have been a long time. And the time that he would be on his knees might have been a long time. It might be a long time before he's able to get on his feet 
and lift up his hands in praise and rejoicing to God and to say, I'm rejoicing and I'm confessing that you have dealt bountifully with me, God. It might take a long time to get there, but the hope of the Christian heart is when your heart is burdened with the how long prayer that if you get on your face and then if you get on your knees that one day you'll be able to get on your feet You'll be able to raise up your hands and rejoicing. You'll be able to give testimony to the power of God in your own life and in your own family and in your own testimony and your own circumstances. You'll be able to tell people, I trusted God and he is trustworthy. I trusted God and he he fulfilled my heart. I trusted God and he kept his promises to me. One day you'll be able to tell your children when you go through heartache and despair and when the cry of your heart is, how long God? You can trust God. He will bring you through to victory. He'll bring you through to rejoicing. He'll bring you through to thanksgiving someday. You'll have stories to tell. You'll have stories to tell of the faithfulness of God. And you will say when you're an old man, when you're an old woman, God has dealt bountifully with me. God, the end of your song will not be like the beginning of your song. The beginning of your song will be how long, Lord, but the end of your song will be, God, you have dealt bountifully with me. God's been very kind to our family. Many, many ways. Lois and I, over and over again, can look back over our... And we, we confess and acknowledge our many, many failures and our many, many weaknesses and our own personal unworthiness. And yet, we've tried to cling to God and he's caused us to cling to him. And as a result of that, when we look back over lives, we just see, and, and I'm sure you see it too, you see in your life the faithfulness of God, that he's dealt bountifully with us. And others sometimes notice that. I had a man once who noticed that about our life. And he said, Ken, it just seems like God's favor has been on your life. And he's met your needs over and over again. I've been watching your life. I see it. He said, he invited me to come and speak at a conference. He said, it's a large conference in Tennessee. There were a couple of thousand people there. And he said, I want you to just give testimony to God's provision in your life. And all the things God's just how he's taken care of you. And so I agreed. And I went to Tennessee. And I went to this conference. And... I talked for one hour, simply giving testimony about how God had provided our needs over and over again, from little things to big things, over and over and over and over again. An hour, a solid hour, and I talk fast. When I got done, and my heart was just full of that, and I went home, and they asked me to speak at another conference, and this one would be in Texas, and and they said, you can, you can give that talk again. You can, you, can, you can give that talk that you gave in Tennessee. And I said, well, when I was giving the talk in Tennessee, I just kept remembering other things that God has done. And so I have another talk that's an hour long. And I went to Texas, and I gave a completely different talk of, of another hour of how God had provided for us and had taken care of our every need for all eight of our kids. And... Um, that was a few years ago, and today I could easily talk for hours and never repeat any of those things that I said in those talks. Still saying, in essence, God, you have dealt bountifully with me. As a matter of fact, as I thought about this, I've paid careful attention to my grandparents' life, both the Pierponts and the Shipleys, who are all now with the Lord, my grandparents, and my mom and dad, 
in our life and our kids and now their kids. And from where I stand, I can give personal testimony that God has dealt bountifully with our family for five generations that I can see in my life from where I stand. I can look back. I can look forward five generations, and I can see the faithfulness of God. And you can too, but you can't do that unless you open your heart to trust, trust the steadfast love of the Lord. Now, Hebrew scholars, and I'm not one, but I, I read them, Hebrew scholars, they get all giddy about the, the, about the Hebrew word that's translated steadfast love in this verse, this key verse in verse 5. I have trusted in your steadfast love. Hebrew scholars write whole books about this. The word is hesed, hesed. They say it's untranslatably, it's untranslatably wonderful. Some say it means steadfast love. Some say it means steadfast mercy. And if you study the context of the, the word where it's used in different places, it has a wide, beautiful, lovely range of meaning. It's almost like an unspeakable quality that God has consistently exercised over people who trust in him. And I am telling you today that it is common all the way back through the centuries for faithful people to cry out to God, are we there yet? How long, Lord? And it will be common for faithful people to pray, are we there yet? How long, Lord? All the way into the great tribulation when people are crying out to God for deliverance until we're with the Lord. But those who cry out to God, how long, Lord, and trust in his steadfast love will one day rejoice and lift up their hands in praise and in thanksgiving. Here's the way I see it. I, I believe that God has ordained that all of us, in some way or the other, will regularly pass through a dark night of the soul. We'll regularly go through a time of trial or testing. When are you going to bring that guy along, Lord, how long? When are we going to finally get a house of our own? When do I get a job that will actually provide a little bit of extra wiggle room for us and our budget? When will we ever get to go with the family and do the thing we always dreamed about doing? You know, how long, Lord? And then during those dark nights of the soul, God, when is this baby going to get better? What, Lord, you said that you would bless me if I showed love in this marriage, and yet it just seems so hard. God, when is that going to change? God says, for those who trust in his steadfast love, he never promises that we won't pass through a dark night. Years ago, a friend of mine and I went to Chicago for a conference. And it was a great conference, and we enjoyed being together all day, and it was rich teaching all day long. And, we, and on the way back, night came. We're driving along around the southern lip of Lake Michigan, up by Saugatuck on a dark, lonely road, and we were engaged in that kind of conversation where everything else just kind of fades and you're deep into this conversation. And I was driving a car that wasn't very familiar to me. And suddenly, in the dark night there, as we were talking, the car began to lurch. And then it stopped running. And I realized that I had neglected to put gas in the car. We ran out of gas and we pulled over to the side of the road. My friend with me was a guy named Reggie. And Reggie, he's a responsible type. He says to me, uh, it's a church car, and he says, does the church have road service? And I jokingly quipped back at him. I said, road service? We don't need road service. We have angels, Reggie. And I was just kind of kidding around. 30 seconds later, 
30 seconds after we pulled that van off to the side of the road, a little car came around us and pulled right in in front of us, and a young man sprung out of the car, and he ran back, and he said, hey, you guys need any help? And I said, well, we ran out of gas. Could you take us to the next exit so we could get gas? He said, sure. I jump in the car with him, and he says to me that he's a seminarian, a seminary student at Trinity Seminary, a believer, and he's going to Michigan to travel around and visit camps and study Christian camping. And he says, I saw your van, your church van pulled over there. I thought they probably ran out of gas. I'll help him. God sent an angel to help us in 30 seconds. And so I got him a tank of gas. We got some gas for the van. And we were on our way. And we got back in the van and we drove away. Reggie just started to chuckle. He said, that's amazing. I go, you know, it really is. I've thought about that night often. And I've I look back over my life. I listen carefully to the stories my dad and my mother tell, and, I, and my mother-in-law. And I look over the stories that my grandparents Pierpont told, and I look over the stories that my grandparents Shipley told. And this is one thing I want to pass on to you. David is saying the same thing. There is no promise that you will not have a dark, lonely stretch of road ahead. But God, in the right time, in the right way, will send just the right person, he'll send just the right resource if for those who trust in his steadfast mercy and in his steadfast love. There was a pastor many years ago, he was a bivocational pastor. And uh, he, his name was George Young. And he pastored a small church and he was a carpenter on the side. And he didn't make much money. And he had a wife there and so after a while, they put together enough money to build a little house. So they had their own little house. He had his church. He had his carpentry business. And every once in a while, he would go out of town preaching. And one night, when he was out of town preaching, a, an enemy came and set fire to his house. The only thing that he owned burned to the ground. And when he got home, he saw that his house was destroyed. He and his wife still clung in faith to the steadfast love of God. And he sat down, George Young sat down, and he penned a poem that you probably have sung. Maybe you remember. Do you remember singing this song? The shady green pastures, so rich and so sweet, God leads his dear children along. Where the water's cool flow bathes the weary one's feet, God leads his dear children along. The first verse was a happy verse about how God leads us on a spring day like this. But then, do you remember the chorus? As a little boy, I remember standing and singing this chorus and feeling a pang in my soul. Listen to these words. Some through the waters, some through the flood, some through the fire, but all through the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season and all the day long. He looked at the rubble of his house as it burned. He wrote, sometimes on the mount where the sun shines so bright, God leads his dear children along. But sometimes it's a valley, the darkest of night. God leads his dear children along. Some to the waters, some to the flood, some to the fire, but all to the blood. Some through great sorrow, but God gives a song in the night season. And all the day long. When your heart cries out, are we there yet? When your heart cries out, 
how long, Lord? Get on your face. Get on your knees, and one day you'll stand on your feet, and you'll lift your hands in rejoicing, and you'll say, Lord, I've trusted in your steadfast love. If you cry and if you pray, one day you will sing. Let me send you on your way today with a blessing and a benediction. Lord, bless those who have assembled here today. Bless us with relentless trust in your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, who on Calvary gave the greatest expression of steadfast love. Forgive us of our sins. Help us to trust in you and continue to trust in you with relentless love. Bless the faithful and the doubter and the seeker. Bless the sinner and the saint. Infuse us all with stubborn, steadfast hope. Teach us, Lord, to lament, to pray, and then to rejoice in your steadfast love and mercy while we're waiting. Make us faithful. And when we rise in the morning and when we lay down at night, may we murmur in the deepest part of our soul, I will always trust in your steadfast love. May your trust, our trust in you, be beautiful and steadfast like your steadfast love and mercy is toward us. Amen. Bless you.